before we uh, turn back to uh, Genesis 41 together, let us bow again in prayer uh, to our God and let us pray. Almighty God, gracious one, our heavenly Father. Lord God, we pray, we confess, uh, all too often we come to your word and we just want to learn about ourselves. We want to learn about our life. Uh, When in truth, Lord, we should come and our primary concern should be to learn from you about you. Uh, that we might, from that point, honor you more. And so we pray, Lord, this morning as we come to Genesis 41, uh, that you might help us. We pray that you would uh, rip all distractions away. Give us peace. Give us such focus on you and your word. But Lord God, we can't do these things alone. So we pray for a work of your Holy Spirit. This is your word. Speak as your people come to your throne to listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, my wife and I uh, led the Sunday school singing. Catherine and I led the Sunday school singing in the church that we attended at the time. So we led the Sunday school singing. Uh, As we did that, each week I tried to vary. I was going to say I tried to vary the set list. That's a bit too rock and roll for Sunday school singing. Each week I tried to vary the songs that we would sing with the children, but each week I would encounter a big problem. Each week the kids, especially the youngest kids, They all wanted to sing the same song, week in, week out, week in, week out. They didn't want any suggestions from Catherine and myself. They wanted to sing every time, my God is so big. That's what it was about, I'm sure. Now, I won't make you do it, I promise you. But I'm sure we could do the actions if we wanted to do that. My God is so big, so strong, and so I can't believe what I'm doing here this morning. My God is so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. We know it, my God is so big. This morning as we begin, I want to suggest to you that, that, that what those children loved to sing is a truth desperately needing to be recaptured by the contemporary church. Friends, what good it would do us if we were only to recover something of the vastness and the greatness and the majesty of our God. Hear me when I say that so many of the problems in our lives and so many of the issues that we are facing in our marriages with our families and in career and for the future, so many of the issues come down essentially to us not having a sufficient appreciation of the glory and the greatness and the supremacy of the God that we worship and we confess. My God is so big. This morning uh, we come to a famous portion of scripture, isn't it? 
uh, where by interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph goes from, he goes from a cell to the crown, doesn't he? Do you chart that with me? He goes from the prison right to the palace. And as we study the section uh, together this morning, the hope is clear, isn't it? The hope is that God will be good to us in these moments. The hope is that we will receive in here from the Holy Spirit himself, we will receive a renewed sense of the goodness and the sovereignty of our God. So, if you would, if you've got a Bible on your phone, your tablet, a paper copy, turn there. Let's go to Genesis 41. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our instructor. And I think in this portion of Scripture, the Holy Spirit teaches us a number of lessons this morning. They were taught lessons. The first lesson is this, that our God is sovereign over all human affairs. I think that comes out clearly in Genesis 41. So our God, the God that we worship, is sovereign over all human conduct, all human affairs. What I want to do in this heading uh, this morning is really simple. I want us to really work quickly. (laughs) I want us to try and chart the first part of this section of scripture. But as we move through the first part of this section of scripture, I want us to notice four aspects of the sovereignty of God. You with me? So we're going to move quickly together, you and I, in this first heading. But we're noticing four aspects of God's sovereignty we see here. And they are not just for our information. No. These are aspects of God's sovereignty that should lead us right in here just now to praise God, to praise him. Okay, four. First, what do we see? I think we see here God's sovereignty over our thinking, sovereign over the human mind. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were here last week, most of you were. Do you remember where we were? Man alive, there would be a certain irony if we have forgotten uh, where we were last week, because last week we were talking about forgetfulness, weren't we? There'd be a certain irony. Last week we were thinking about the fact that the cup bearer had totally forgotten uh, Pharaoh, uh, forgotten Joseph, rather. And we come in here, what's going on? Joseph's still languishing in prison, isn't he? Time has passed, time has passed. And then what occurs? Now, Pharaoh, the king, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, he has some dreams. That's the first part, isn't it? Now, we have in this series a number of times thought about that. The fact that God uses, in this story, he uses dreams. Is it not, though? Because it's so marvelous. Is it not worth you and I just lingering on that again? Because this morning, are you doubting the power and the ability of God in some way? Think about the extent of it. Here God, this God, is able to commune with Pharaoh when he's sleeping. God is of this such sovereignty and supremacy and power and might. He is able to infiltrate the subconscious of humanity. And he's able to do that for his own purposes and his own plans in his own power. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it? Doesn't it also encourage us for our own spiritual disciplines? Because I'm going to say it again to you, as controversial as it might be, this ain't going to happen tonight. 
Not to you, not to me. Most likely God is not a God today who tends to commune via dreams. But I want to add to that. Does he not do more? Does he not promise us something better? God has promised that he will commune with his people by his word. Isn't that marvelous? This sovereign God, this God of heaven and earth, he's promised you, Christian friend, he will speak to you, he will speak to me if we only sincerely and prayerfully go to his word, go to the scriptures. That should excite us. One, two, so God is sovereign over our thinking. Two, God is also, we see here, sovereign over supposedly powerful Leaders, powerful men. You already know where I'm going, don't you? So, okay, God is using dreams. What is remarkable in this chapter? So he's communicated in dreams before, but here he communes with the king, the pharaoh, doesn't he? Now, truth be told, friends, we do not know which pharaoh, exactly which pharaoh is that we're dealing with here. So we don't know that for sure. It could be a number of possibilities, What we do know is that in the ancient world at this point, see these pharaohs, they were regarded as being divine. Okay, by the people in Egypt, these pharaohs were thought of as divine. Do you see how important that is? We've got to understand that this guy that we're kind of zooming in on and focusing on here, he was clearly the most powerful man in all of the earth at this point. This is the guy here who is worshipped deified and praised. And so I want to put it to you, are we not supposed to be laughing? (laughs) Really, as we read this, are we not supposed to find this funny? Because here is this supposed Superman. Here is Pharaoh. And do you see how God has so humbled him that he cannot even interpret his own thoughts? You know, such is God's sovereignty. He brings a man like this down low, humbles him. So Pharaoh is running around and he's looking for somebody to help. Any wise man, any magician, please help me out. We're not supposed to chuckle at this. And isn't it helpful? I want to ask you, what is your attitude towards Vladimir Putin? Christian friend. Are you panicking? Like really panicking? Panicking all this talk and nuclear war? Are you buying the line that the media is really trying to sell you? That Vladimir Putin is a man out of control. (laughs) Out of control? Look at the scriptures. Vladimir Putin is a man who can do nothing more than the God of heaven and earth allows. God is sovereign. He was sovereign here over Pharaoh. God is sovereign even over Vladimir Putin. Three, we see that God is also sovereign. He stands supreme over so-called gods. Are you following me? We've thought about dreams. We've seen that they come to Pharaoh. What's the obvious thing? What do we have to address? What were these dreams, right? What were the dreams? Well, I think if you were brought up in Christian circles, you'll know this, that these dreams that Pharaoh has are the sort of things that always appear in children's storybook Bibles. Don't they? Can you remember these dreams from the Lion's Children Bible and maybe the Sunday school stories? Because what happens? Pharaoh dreams about corn, you know, thick corn, thin ears of corn, 
but not before he has dreamt about cows. Right, you got a thick cow, big, and a thin cow. Now, the detail that you and I, I think, could easily pass over is the fact that these cows, do you notice the, the detail? They come up out of the Nile. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? The cows come up out of the Nile. There's a practical reality, a practical reality here. So cattle in Egypt, renowned for actually standing in deep bodies of water. It's genius. Getting away from the heat, getting away from the flies, the insects. So there's a practical reality. They're not submerged. They're up to their shoulders in water, perhaps. Practical reality. There is much more importantly, a spiritual reality here. We need to know this. That in the religious life of Egypt at the time, the main God, the main sun God, was a God called Happy. Kid you not, H-A-P-I. Okay, this was the father of the gods. Key thing about this, Happy was seen as the personification of the River Nile. So do you see the, the Egyptians, they looked to the River Nile as this pagan god who is the source of all the fertility, source of all produce and all life and armed as you are with that information. Do you not see what God is doing with these cows coming supposedly up out of the water? In this dream and its interpretation, God is showing Pharaoh who really stands supreme. It is not happy, but it is the Lord God himself. It is Yahweh who is the source of fertility and produce and all of life. And again, I hope that you are clinging to that for your own life. Because isn't it the case when we think about false religions in the church, you and I can be really, really defensive. So we think about the rise of Islam in Scotland, right across the UK, we see the, the changing face of the religious, the religious face of the country changing. We're often, as Christians, on the back foot. What should we remember? I needed to explain happy. What should we remember? False religion comes and goes. I needed to explain this this morning. And I firmly believe that the day will come when Islam is a thing of the past and people will not even know what a Muslim is. And all the while, for every second of it all, Yahweh, our God, is on the throne and he is reigning. And then the fourth thing, we see that God is also sovereign over the future. He is sovereign over the future. If you're following me as we chart this first part of the chapter, you can see right now, I think, that Pharaoh is freaking out. Isn't he? At this moment, he has had these dreams. He just doesn't understand what is going on. And I love it. I think at this moment, in the king's chamber, there is this clatter of a cup hitting the ground. Isn't there? Don't you think? Because you look over to the far side of the king's chamber and the cupbearer, <laughs> his jaw has just hit the ground because in the failure of the wise men and the magicians to interpret the dreams, what's happened? <gasps> the cupbearer's memory has been jogged. Who does he remember? He remembers Joseph. Joseph can do this. 
And he goes to tell Pharaoh. And then suddenly, Joseph is whisked into the audience, trembling, no doubt, in an audience with Pharaoh himself. Now, it is amazing, don't you think, to see what Joseph is able to do. God uses him as a prophet here. And Joseph is able to interpret these dreams. What do they mean? The young people getting it? What do they mean? Seven years of produce and plenty? Seven years of what? It's not a storm that's coming, is it? It's a famine. It's a famine. That's amazing. I want to ask you as a church, what's the lesson? As he stands in there, he is able to interpret the dreams. He's able to talk about the famine. What's the lesson? I'll change the question. Is the, quest, is the lesson here that God knows the future? Is that the lesson? God is able to talk about this famine. God knows the future. That is not the lesson. Twice, maybe three times, verses 25, 28, Joseph says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God has revealed what? Wait for it, wait. God has revealed what he is about to do. The lesson is not just that God knows the future. The lesson here is that God is a God who ordains the future. God does not just know what is about to take place. God is the God who has determined exactly what is around the corner. And if you're a Christian in here, are you holding on to that? Are you hearing it loud and clear? Because what else do you know? God ordains the future for the benefit of his people. Don't we see that in Genesis 41? And for the glory of his own name. Do you hear it, Christian friend? God knows exactly what is coming to you and he's ordained it for you. So God knows the day of your diagnosis. He knows it. He's there with you. He's determined that. God knows the day of your death. God knows the day, that moment, that you will be transferred immediately into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that day. He sees that day. He's ordained that. He knows the day that you will be in glory. You will be standing alongside those saints that you love who have already gone ahead of you, that you will see that throne. You will worship the lamb on that throne. God sees it. He has ordained it. He knows it all. And he ordains it for the good of those who love him. Isn't that wonderful? These four aspects should make us fall to our knees this morning in praise and wonder of a God who is truly sovereign. So God is sovereign. He stands supreme. The question that we ask and wrestle with, surely, what does this mean for us in the Christian life? How does this affect you and me and the way we live? So listen carefully uh, to the next two words. More briefly, (laughs) there's a second lesson here. More briefly, secondly, we are taught here that as God's people, we should seek to honor this sovereign God through thick and through thin. We should serve God through thick and thin. Let me spell out what I want us to do. It's that Google Earth moment that I've mentioned to you before. We all know Google Earth, I think. So that's what I want us to use. We do it again. So we've had, we charted a huge chunk. We've moved really quickly through this chapter. What I want us to do is to zero in on, to zoom in on 
two particular scenes very, very quickly, two moments that I want you to capture and imagine here. So if we can put up verse 16, we zoom in Google Earth right into this scene, verse 16. Now, what's going on at this moment? Picture it. So Joseph has been taken out of jail and he's been brought before Pharaoh. Surely his knees are banging together. And Joseph is asked by Pharaoh, can you interpret these dreams that I've had? What does he say? Would you read it with me? Look what he says. In that situation, he says, it's not in me. God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable. Not, not me. God. Friends, every one of us, right, can, can see what Joseph is doing. Can you see what he's doing? Is he not deflecting the glory of this moment? Deflecting it, isn't he? Deflecting it from himself and to his God. I think we can see this. What I'm longing for you to do, though, is to recognize the predicament that Joseph is in here. Like, did everybody notice when Hugh read the start of this service? Did everybody notice the first verse? Did you see it? Was it after two more years in prison? Isn't that incredible? That's two years in that prison. Now, I think you and I, it's different for you and me. Because if we think back two years, what do we immediately think about, right? We're all thinking COVID here, aren't we? Two years ago. And so you and I are sitting in the church this morning and we're thinking, well, Andy, a lot can happen, man, in two years. Loads can happen in two years. I want to say back to you, if that's your thought, not for him, man. Not for him. Nothing in two years. I mean, the Psalms, Psalm 105, makes it clear that for this duration of time, Joseph is chained by his neck and his feet in a cell. There's nothing but pain for him. Nothing's happening. The only thing that's happening is total confusion, surely, crying out day after day, God, what are you doing? You gave me dreams. I was supposed to be bowed to by all of my brothers. And here I am in this cell day in, day out, and week after week and month after month for two years, God, what are you doing? And yet, just when it couldn't seem to be getting any worse, the depths of it all, and he's standing before Pharaoh, and surely he's thinking I'm going to be killed here, right there. What do you see? What do you see? Right there, he is willing to give all glory to his God. He is ready, even his confusion, even the depths of despair, to speak about the glory of God and the goodness of God and the power of God. Surely, Christian friend, we all see the lesson. We have to do similar, don't we? Friends, through the confusion in our lives, perhaps even now, through the difficult times, through the pain, we have to be ready to bring all the honor and glory to God. We have to be ready, even in the confusion, we have to be ready to turn conversations to and to speak about this God of grace. And then we zoom out. (laughs) And then we zoom back in for a second scene. So can I ask you to look at verse 51 later on? I 
picture it. What is going on? <coughs> Can I say to you, it could not be more different, this scene. Don't you agree? So having been tasked with organizing all of Egypt's provisions for this coming famine, Joseph has been taken from this prison and now he's in the palace, isn't he? So he has been elevated, hasn't he? Exalted by Pharaoh. Now, in amongst all of the trappings of wealth, and there's a lot of them, and we'll get to it, I want you to think about and notice how he names his sons. Please think about that. What do you notice as you look at scripture about how he names his sons? Dare I suggest to you, you notice two things. Do you notice, first of all, that he gives them Hebrew names? I think that's remarkable. He's living in Egypt. So he's surrounded by Egyptian culture and society. He probably doesn't know another Israelite, of course. Though he has, I don't think, had much say in the matter, he's been given an Egyptian wife. He's been thrust into the center of this really influential priestly Egyptian family. Do you see this whole sphere of influence as Egyptian? And what's he doing? He's saying, nah, 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 my boys. (laughs) They're getting Hebrew names. Do you see he is openly identifying himself as a follower of his God, a follower of Yahweh. That's the first thing you notice. The second thing you notice the actual names themselves. Aren't they great? Can I read them? Do you see it? Manasseh, God has made it. God has done it. He's made me forget all my hardship. Next one, Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. Do you see? Do you see? In his confusion, but now even in his comfort, Joseph is seeking to bring all honor to God. Even amongst all of the trappings of wealth and luxury, he is eager to testify to the goodness of God. And I think you can see how deeply relevant that is to St. Peter's Free Church this morning. Can you? I've said this three times, four times. I've only been here a year and I'm already repeating myself often. Three or four times I've said that we are wealthy. If you compare us to human history, even people around the world, St. Peter's Free Church, compare us to, think about it. In your home, there is an abundance of food, right? Compared to people down the the centuries, we have fridges (laughs) to keep all of that food in. Say that to somebody from the 16th century. We have electricity, We have multiple pairs of shoes, multiple sets of clothing. We have some of us cars. (laughs) We have the internet. We have bank accounts. We are wealthy. And this morning, Christian friend, we better recognize how dangerous that is. For the Christian, our comfort can very often act as an anesthetic. Our abundance, our comfort, our luxury, our money, that can numb us spiritually. We rest in these things. We rest less in this sovereign God. 
So don't you see what we need to do? We need to look to Joseph here. We need to follow after Joseph here. We need to have God in the comfort as the force, the focus of our praise. We have to revolve our whole lives around this God. We have to speak of him because he alone is sovereign and he alone is worthy. And then more briefly still, and in closing, we see a third lesson. We learn a third lesson. And that is that there is only one who can provide for us in the famine. There is only one who can provide for us in the famine. As we end, um, I use that cheesy expression, as we come into land, as we, as we end here, I want us just really briefly to reflect upon this elevation, this exaltation that Joseph has enjoyed. Did you all notice in the reading that he really is taken from the pits to the palace? You got that, didn't you? So I want us just to reflect on that in just a few words. And the first thing I want you to notice is the extent of it. The extent. But what's he done? What has Joseph done? Would you agree with me that he is counseled? He is wonderfully counseled Pharaoh. So he's interpreted the dreams. That's not all that Joseph does. Do you notice that he says to him, he advises Pharaoh to appoint one man in charge of this whole operation to try and prepare for this famine. So it's not a surprise to you, not a surprise to me that Joseph gets the gig, doesn't he? And Joseph is positioned as prime minister. He is Boris. Not quite, not quite. But he is positioned viceroy. He is the prime minister. This, and did you notice? Did you notice how the power is described to you? If we could put up verse 43, you'll see it in relationship to the public. Do you, do you notice what they're told to do? They're like, if Joseph's coming around, you get to your knees. You see, get to your knees. That's the power before the public. But also, we can bring that down. But also, we're told that's in relation to Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh is saying, you shall be over everything. You shall be over my house. Do, do you see, where is he? Where is Joseph? Do you see the extent of it? He is at the right hand of Pharaoh, the right hand of power. Then you must consider and note the trappings <laughs> that he enjoys. Man alive as he showered in luxury or what? Do you notice it? Again, if we put verse 42 up, you can catch some of these things, can you? Rings thrown at him. <laughs> he's got a chain. He's got a golden chain. He's got new garments. What is it? With Joseph and his robes. He's led around in a chariot by servants. It's the ancient equivalent of what will we go for? A presidential motorcade. That sort of idea. Do you notice also some of the changes to his situation? I mentioned it a moment ago. He is given a new bride. Have a new bride. And then also he's even given a new name. Do you notice that? I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Hugh has already done a good job of that. But he's given a new name. Do you see the extent of it? From the pit to this, all of these luxuries thrown on him. Then last, consider the honour. The honor. I think you, you notice that in verse 46, there's this detail, this time reference that from the age of 30, 
He begins his work. The last time we got an age of Joseph, it was 17. Has he not gone through so much? The age of 30, here he begins his work and he sets about and he's storing up a fifth of all the grain for this coming famine, isn't he? Do you know how clever he is? That he stores it in the cities for ease of access here. But I want you to think about what happens when the famine strikes. So those seven great years, they come and they go, the famine comes. I want you to notice how everything, every detail is fixed upon, focused on, pointing to Joseph, the person of Joseph himself. Did you notice that? Look at verse 55. We've got the people are crying out to, to Pharaoh. We're starving. And what does he say? He says, go to him. Go to Joseph. And then isn't there this personal focus right at the end too? Because not only is it Joseph himself who is feeding Egypt. Can we put the last verse? Look at it if you've got scripture. Look at it here. Do you see impartial fulfillment of the promise to Abraham? Do you remember? You have seed that bless the earth. What's happening right at the end? You've got this picture of all of the world, all of the globe, and they are coming to whom? To him, to Joseph himself, that he might feed these starving masses. Now I stand before you this morning, and I am confident of this, that we at St. Peter's can join the church down the centuries in recognizing in that scene a shadow of the exaltation that the Lord Jesus Christ knows and shall know. Don't you see it? Surely you do. But as we close, I don't want you just to hear these parallels and nod your head. Not just this morning to find it slightly interesting or to sleep through it. I want these parallels to lead to the praise of the very Son of God So I'm asking you, who is Jesus? And do you see that he, the greater Joseph, he's the wonderful counselor. Now, do you see that Jesus Christ is the one who at 30 years of age, he began his work of ministry, a ministry for you. Who is Jesus? But is he not the one who has been brought from the of that tomb to the palace right from that cell to the crown is Jesus Christ not the one who today seats sits exalted at the right hand of God his father isn't that the case and is it not true that in the greater Joseph's exaltation Christ Jesus in the last he will receive a bride He will receive the church, this bride that he has bought with his blood on that cross. And isn't it true that in that moment, like here with Joseph, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that new name. Every knee bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do we not as a congregation praise this exalted king? And if you are not a believer and with the amount of visitors tuning in and in here today, surely that is the case. If you are not a Christian, don't you see what you need to do? 
you understand the world is starving. I mean, you see it, don't you? People are looking around at a broken world. They're desperate for meaning and they're famished. They cannot find meaning. And this morning, what does God show you in his word? There is someone who can feed. There is only one who can feed. If you go to Jesus Christ, the greater Joseph, by faith this morning, he will nourish your soul. Jesus Christ, he declares in his gospel today, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, ever go hungry. Friend, come to the greater Joseph. Come to this exalted king and bow. Fall to the ground. Kiss the sun. And feast. Feast on his wonderful gospel. Feast on his salvation. And all to the praise and to the glory of this, our truly sovereign God. Friends, let's bow. Let's pray. Gracious 